Theory Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend Zach. Hello, everyone. So today we are going to be talking about secret tech. And by that, I mean cards that we think are very powerful, but which haven't been adopted by the community. So what we've done is we've looked up a bunch of cards that we think are really powerful and looked at which ones don't have a commensurate popularity. Yeah, which ones have not as much play as other cards, even though they have similar, if not greater, power level in some instances. Mm -hmm. We've got numbers on like how many decks it's played in, mm -hmm. and when possible, we've tried to get like good points of comparison. Yeah. But before we do get into it, I just want to briefly talk about Patreon. So Commander Theory recently launched its Patreon page, which means that all of you listeners can now start directly supporting the show and get access to some sweet rewards. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron and vote on what sort of content you'd like to see and get a shout out on the show's credits. If you're willing to give a little bit more, you can join our Discord server, get one-on-one -on -one deck advice, and get your questions answered on the podcast. So check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory and become a patron today. If you're on a tight budget and can't commit to becoming a patron, you can also help us out by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other potential listeners find us so we can grow our listener base, invest some more time and money into the podcast, and produce better content for you. Let's jump right into the secret tech. Do we want to move on to like a subset of red cards that we both have kind of been liking a lot? So the two cards we really think should be played more are Wild Guess and Magmatic Insight. So Wild Guess, for those who don't know, is red red for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast it, discard a card, draw two cards. And then Magmatic Insight is a single red mana for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast it, discard a land card, draw two cards. So both of these cards are pretty similar to Tormenting Voice, which is one in a red as an additional cost to cast it, discard a card, draw two cards. Cathartic Reunion, also similar, one in a red as an additional cost to cast it, discard two cards, draw three cards. And then of course the, the king of these is Faithless Looting, yeah, which is a single red mana for a sorcery, draw two cards, then discard two cards, and you can flash it back for two and a red. Faithless Looting sees play in a lot of decks. It is in 14,774 decks. Jeez. Which, which I think is appropriate. Yeah. Red doesn't really have a lot of card draw. Red doesn't have a lot of card selection. So Faithless Looting offers uh, a way to see a lot of cards for relatively little mana. I mm -hmm. think it's great. Similarly, like Tormenting Voice is in 6,352 decks. It's a respectable number. Cathartic Reunion, 5,465 decks. Wild Guess is in only 1,976 decks. And Magmatic Insight is only in 957 decks. One of these effects are better than the others, but that shouldn't fully explain the variance because if you're going to want one of these things, you're likely going to want the others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wild Guess is so similar to Tormenting Voice, like the only difference is just a slight difference in the mana cost that I think it really should be seeing more play. Yeah. <laughs> and then Magmatic Insight is potentially... Like, yes, it won't dig you out of a mana screw situation, mm -hmm. but if you're in a mana flood situation, which is when you really are most likely to use these types of effects... This is much better. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's much better. It's one mana. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you're in a heavy red deck and you don't have access to colors with better card draw, if you don't have access to black card draw or blue card draw, then you probably want to be running all of these, especially if you're in mono red, red white. If you're in mono red, 
you really need a way to make it so that you're just not in top deck mode. You're not yeah. completely reliant on the top of your deck at all times. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and these cards do that, and so I would run as many as I could. It's mm -hmm. almost like running like a Ponder or a Preordain or a Brainstorm. It's just a way to spend very little mana to fix your draw into something more playable. Yeah, and to make sure that you get to your actual playable cards, your actual good cards, which in Mono Red or in Boros can be not as many as other colors sometimes. Absolutely. Like if you're in a color identity where just the average card quality is lower mm -hmm. than like say the green decks or the blue decks, then being able to effectively decrease your deck size and make it so you are more likely to draw the good cards. Yeah, the cards you're excited about. That's a powerful tool. And so these cards that do that are, are well worth running. They seem really lackluster. Like, if you've seen, like, the Tormenting Voice over the years, like, it doesn't seem like it's that much. On the surface, looks like, okay, well, I discard a card, then I just draw two cards, okay, whatever. But in a vacuum, that's all the card does. But in a game, that's not all the card does. In a lot of red decks, they kind of tend to lean on artifacts. Artifacts can get themselves back from the graveyard. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times putting cards into your graveyard is just as good as drawing them in mm. a lot of red decks. And in red-white, you end up getting a lot of, like, creature animation or, um, like, small weenie animation, stuff like that. So you can tear through your deck, put these little guys in there for, like, a big turn when you do get them back. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're just planning on rest and piecing anyway, and you're just trying to get to that answer you needed. There's just a lot of things that it has synergy with, mm -hmm. like spell copying effects. There's a big difference between Tormenting Voice, where the discard is part of the cost, mm -hmm. and like a catalog or a charter course, where the discard is part of the effect. Yeah. So if you copy a Wild Guess, you don't have to discard another card. You just draw four cards. Yeah. I am a huge fan of that. And there, there are Spellslinger-y decks that have those copy effects where Cathartic Reunion, you feel so awesome. Mm -hmm. You like cast Cathartic Reunion and you copy it and you're like, oh my god. And that, honestly, too, with Magmatic Insight, you spent one mana and then you pitched a land that you didn't need and then you copy it mm -hmm. and you draw four cards. <laughs> it's so great. It's really great. Definitely trying to get that out into the world. Mm -hmm. Like, these cards rip. We have some green cards we're going to talk yes. about? Yes. The first one is Vernal Bloom, uh, which, for those who don't know, is an enchantment. Three and a green. Whenever a forest is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional green. This is in 2,375 decks, which I think is pretty low. A decent point of comparison is Heartbeat of Spring. So Heartbeat of Spring is two and a green for enchantment. Whenever a player taps a land for mana, that player adds one mana of any type that land produce. So Heartbeat sees play in almost as many decks. It's in 2,177 decks, but it's so, so, so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like with Vernal Bloom, you are likely running it in mono green or extremely heavy green. Mm -hmm. So it is guaranteed to double your mana. Yeah. And it may increase some of your opponent's mana. Heartbeat of Spring is guaranteed to double your mana and guaranteed to double your opponent's mana. Yep. Like, Vernal Bloom is just clearly so much better, but sees a comparable amount of play, which is crazy to me. Yeah, it is really, really nuts. I mean, there is a king in this category. Mm -hmm. Mana Reflection exists, mm -hmm. and Mana Reflection is four green green for an enchantment. If you tap a permanent for mana, it produces twice as much of that mana instead. Doubles everything. It's awesome with Signets, a whole bunch of stuff. Like, 
obviously if you're playing commander you've probably seen this or heard of this or have this or whatever but like this card is in vastly more decks it's 7324 decks mm-hmm. run mana reflection and you don't need to wait for mana reflection to get that mana payoff yeah like vernal bloom does double your mana effectively most of the time. Mana Reflection, a lot of the time, does the same work that Vernal Bloom does, but on turn six. Yes, there's things with permanence, like maybe you have Mana Rocks and stuff like that, but on turn four, you can play Vernal Bloom in a like heavy green deck and effectively get a Mana Reflection effect for much less of the price tag, but also much less of the mana cost, and like just way faster. Like The difference between like exploding from turn four into turn ten is huge as opposed to going from turn six to turn 12 like that's the the jump is so much larger exactly like there are plenty of spells in green that will win you the game for 10 mana or less yeah (laughs) like going vernal bloom into tooth and nail vernal bloom into primal surge Mm -hmm. uh vernal bloom into genesis wave for seven Mm -hmm. like all of these things are insane and like the, there's so there's a lot of diminishing returns from waiting to get your mana reflection out and like yeah. okay now oh, I've yeah. got 14 mana I'm gonna cast tooth and nail and then not do anything with those other five yeah <laughs> like there's a ceiling on how much power you can get out of your mana yeah and vernal bloom is like a perfect example of a card that isn't being played as much it does a very very comparable effect you'll probably have an awesome time with it like I would actually bet money that you'll probably win a lot more games with Vernal Bloom Mm -hmm. just because your game plan is happening faster. And again, like this isn't to say Mana Reflection isn't great. There are decks that want Mana Reflection. Nothing does what Mana Reflection does the way Mana Reflection does it. Nothing doubles your Signet's mana, like I said. Like nothing literally doubles the mana that comes out of your lands except for Mana Reflection. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously like that Mana Reflection has that going for it and that's fun and that's cool, but not every deck requires that level of Mm -hmm of output yeah there are definitely a lot of decks where vernal bloom is just significantly better Mm -hmm. than mana reflection another thing i want to mention is like you mentioned that mana reflection commands a decent price i Mm -hmm. think it's over 30 dollars oh yeah vernal bloom is three dollars (laughs) yeah like it is not going to be a barrier to anyone's budget (laughs) no yeah it's pretty great it's it's a cool like honestly just budget card but like i don't even think of it as budget i just think it's awesome yeah budget (laughs) so often means worse but it's, yeah. it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. Like, I think there's a ton of cards that either people don't play with or that just are very, like, niche cards that are powerful in certain circumstances. That That's that's the kind of cards that I, I personally, I, I think Nick wants to too, see more often in Commander. Mm-hmm. Like, to see these cards kind of be played and be made good with Commanders, and that would just make the format a better place. All right, uh, the next card we want to talk about is also green. Mm-hmm. It is Wave of Vitriol. Five green green for a sorcery. Each player sacrifices all artifacts, enchantments, and non-basic lands they control. For each land sacrificed this way, its controller may search their library for a basic land card and put it onto the battlefield tapped. Then each player who searched their library this way shuffles it. This is a very effective way to answer artifacts, enchantments, non-basics. And like green is a color that more than others is investing in basic lands there's Mm -hmm. just so many way to like ramp yourself using basic lands and stuff Mm -hmm. and green also tends to be investing in its creatures so it doesn't really need mana rocks doesn't really need enchantments nearly as much as some of the other colors do Mm -hmm. 
and of there are of course entire archetypes that get yeah. annihilated yeah. by this card. And this this card is incredibly brutal and just the fact that even just in our playgroups, like I don't see it very often mm-hmm. kind of amazes me. And I think a big reason for that is because people want to play with <laughs> artifacts and things like mm-hmm. that. But the power that this card offers is nuts yeah. and and kind of what we're going to talk about is there are cards that people play that are comparable to this one that kind of make there's like a disjunct between wave of vitriol not being played and other cards being played bane of progress is like the de facto answer for artifacts and enchantments in green and bane of progress sees play in eleven thousand three hundred and ninety five decks in contrast, Wave of Vitriol sees play in 2,448 decks. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bane of Progress is very, very good. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to deny that. And the fact that it's a creature means that it's very easy for Green to tutor out. Mm-hmm. Green can recur it. It has a lot of things going for it. But Wave of Vitriol is also very good. If you build your deck so that Bane of Progress is like your only answer to a lot of artifacts and enchantments and then your plan is just to tutor it out every single game, Mm -hmm. then it's not that difficult for someone to counter that. Even if you have like a lot of redundancy in the ways to find this one single answer, it might be a good idea for you to have a backup plan. Yeah. And I mean, even on top of that, like I actually think Wave of Vitriol is way more mean than Bane of Progress. Mm -hmm. Like there are definitely reasons Bane of Progress is played more currently i think like it's a creature it's in mono green Mm -hmm. it's mass artifact enchantment destruction it's huge it's a huge body people love that (laughs) but wave of vitriol like all of the cards we've mentioned i would ask you to play with and give them a shot uh wave of vitriol in particular i would ask you to play and just see like the havoc it wreaks Mm -hmm. and especially like we talked about ruination before wrecking non-basic lands and even two color decks can get really screwed by that just do that with yeah. Wave of Vitriol. Like, see, like, yeah, they get lands back, but, like, your three-color deck, your five-color deck, like, four-color Atraxas sitting over there, like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing. They they can't cast anything anymore because their whole mana base of fetches and duels or whatever is just annihilated. Yeah, like, a three-color deck, and especially, like, a shard deck, because yeah. you have access to more duels that way. Oh, yeah. Like, optimally... They're not running more than a handful of basics. Mm-mm. The correct way to build those kinds of mana bases is to, like, you know, I'll run maybe like two yeah, yeah. <laughs> of each of yeah. these basics and probably less. And so to get Wave of Vitriol in that deck, it's like they are capped yeah. at their mana. You're dropped down to like maybe five mana. Yeah. At the point in time when Wave of Vitriol is being cast, you probably are done ramping. You're past the phase when everyone has ramped and done their thing. Mm-hmm. So not only does it screw over the two, three, four, five color decks, the multicolor decks a ton, it also gets rid of all of their artifact ramp that they dealt with. It gets rid of any heinous enchantment or artifacts that mm-hmm. they're playing. Pillowfort guy gets really, really sad as you can attack him again. Like all of this stuff. Yeah. Like just kind of in one card like for one card you just like completely decimated probably like at minimum two or three people at yeah. the table i've gotten hit with it when i was playing my tuvasa deck and it's like <laughs> well okay this is a three color deck so my mana base just got destroyed and i'm now going to be at five lands for the rest of the game yep and of course i had all my enchantments that <laughs> yeah. were helping me win That's... so i think i'm out of this one guys 
it's it is really really nasty mm-hmm. like there's there's kind of not really much more that i can say about the card to try and get you to play it other than just like please give it a shot see like what it can do for you and mm-hmm. what it does to the board because it is incredible <laughs> it's really nasty but i think we're getting into some two-color or multi-color cards now. Yeah. Uh, so this next one I want to talk about is also an answer to Artifacts and, and Enchantments. Mm-hmm. It is Dwergar Hedge Mage. So two hybrid red-white, so three mana. It's a 2-2 Dwarf Shaman, and when it enters the battlefield, if you control two or more mountains, you may destroy target artifact. If you control two or more planes, you may destroy target enchantment. So this is something you're probably not going to play in like a five-color deck. No, yeah. But in a three-color deck, and especially a Boros deck... Yeah, which is kind of, I think, the main context we're going to be talking about it in. Yeah, it's very easy to get those numbers of (laughs) land types. You know, once you fetch out your Sacred Foundry, then you're most of the way there, really. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, of course, it's just a lot of board control for very little mana on a body that can easily be tutored out. I mm-hmm. mean, even even in red-white, you've got your Imperial Recruiter, you've got yeah. your Recruit of the Guard. Yeah. You also have, like we said, like all the little dork reanimation, mm-hmm. um, which we're slowly getting to a critical mass mm-hmm. of, so one day maybe, I mean, just even Sun Titan. Yeah. Like, just like casting a Sun Titan, getting this guy back, blowing up two permanents. That's awesome. That's nuts. Yeah. I, I think that like a decent point of comparison is Wear Tear from mm-hmm. Dragon's Maze, which is it's a split card with fuse, so you can cast both halves. One half is wear, which is basically shatter, just destroy target artifact or one to red. And the other is tear, one white, instant, destroy target enchantment. So this one is three mana to destroy any combination of one artifact and one enchantment. And Dwargar Hedge Mage is essentially like the same answers for the same mana. It's just not instant speed, but you get all this benefits of it being a creature that can be recurred and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think this is a great card. And if you look at the numbers, Dwergar Hedge Mage is played in only 2,373 decks, but Wearter is played in 6,798 decks. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that... Honestly, I think both of these numbers should be higher, but I think that Dwergar Hedgemage should be closer yeah, to wear tear. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Dwergar Hedgemage for sure is a really, really good one. Mm-hmm. In a similar vein, we have this next card. I am continually amazed about how few people know about this card. Mm-hmm. This is Fire Covenant. It sees play in 1,655 decks. It is one red-black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast it, pay X life. Fire Covenant deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures. These days, like, the creatures are smaller in Commander. There's not that many huge fatties. So a Fire Covenant can easily be, like, well, I'm going to pay 7 life and kill those two mana dorks Mm -hmm. and that utility creature and your commander. Mm -hmm. And my stuff is going to be untouched. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really, really strong, and it's an instant, and it's three mana. I think some of these cards suffer from past association problem, mm-hmm. where Fire Covenant in the past was very bad. Mm-hmm. Like in a 20 life format, 1v1, yeah. paying like seven life to take out seven toughness of creatures is not good, mm-hmm. because you just almost have your life total. They still have things they can do. Like, it's hard to work around. Um, you only have so much life. Mm-hmm. Where in Commander, life is doubled at the start so all of a sudden you have 40 life and most of that is completely useless Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you can turn this resource that is just complete garbage (laughs) most of the time and turn it into 
actual cards, like actual creatures, and all it cost you was this one deck slot, this one card. If you are ending a game of Commander at 30 life, mm -hmm. then you have failed to utilize your resources correctly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, life is a resource that you've got 39 of which you can spend, mm -hmm. and cards that allow you to convert that bad resource that's given freely in Commander into a good one, which is like cards on board that they've already invested mana into. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, it's really, really nuts. Like, there's a, a point of comparison, and like, and I would say that's Toxic Deluge. It's in 23,316 decks. Toxic Deluge is a black sorcery. It's two and a black. As an additional cost, you pay X life. All creatures get minus X, minus X till on a turn. A lot of the time, you're spending a comparable amount of life on Toxic Deluge as you would be on Fire Covenant. And maybe some mana dorks don't die. Mm -hmm. Or maybe a commander or something lives yeah. through it. You're really not missing out on everything if you're playing Fire Covenant in your deck. Or if you're playing it in addition to Toxic mm -hmm. Deluge. We definitely aren't saying that Fire Covenant is better than Toxic Deluge. Yeah. It is not. Yeah. <laughs> but Toxic Deluge, it's not 16 times better than Fire Covenant. Yeah, 14 there we times go. better. Jeez, yeah. No, it is definitely not. And also, again, like Fire Covenant is an instant. Like that's one of the things that I've always wished about Toxic Deluge is that I wish I could save it, like mm -hmm. not have to pay life if I didn't want to. Um, you can do that with Fire Covenant. <laughs> you can be like, don't attack me. I will wreck you. And they go, whatever. And then you go, I wasn't lying. Mm -hmm. I, I really was not lying. Here I know. You go. It's a very powerful political tool to just flip this around and be like, <laughs> send those guys somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and also another thing that really bears mentioning is because nobody knows about Fire Covenant, mm -hmm. it is extremely cheap. Like Toxic Deluge is, as of the time of this recording, is about $21, $22. Fire Covenant is less than $2. It's a comparable amount of like value yeah. And goes into a lot of decks. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that Fire Covenant deserves to see some more play. Uh, another Rakdos card that I want to talk about is Kolagon's Command. This is one black-red for an instant, and it has four modes. You can choose two. Destroy target artifact, deal two damage to any target, target player discards a card, and return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So this has a lot of effects, and most of them are pretty useful in Commander. There are a lot of artifacts running around, mana rocks, etc. A lot of mana dorks, utility creatures, small commanders that you can snipe with this thing. And then, of course, the ability to, to reuse your own creatures sometimes is, is pretty useful. Oh, yeah. So you get a lot of flexibility and a lot of utility for only three mana. And to put that in perspective, like another card in the same color identity that also has a lot of flexibility is Rakdos Charm. So that is red, black for an instant. Choose one, exile all cards from target player's graveyard, destroy target artifact, and each creature deals one damage to its controller. Rakdos Charm sees play in 10,000 decks. That number is very surprising yeah. to me. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, and Kuligan's Command, in contrast, sees play in only 3,106 decks. Kuligan's Command is much, much 
better than Rakdos Charm. I think that's mm -hmm. fair to say. Like, Kologon's Command, basically any of those combinations is going to get you card advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rakdos Charm can't do that, and in some cases, like, maybe card disadvantage. Yeah, you don't really want to actually spend a card exiling a graveyard. Yeah. And that's something we've said a lot on the show, just, like, exiling a graveyard, taking care of graveyards, should not be an active card slot. Like, if you're looking at Rakdos Charm and being like, Oh, cool! I can exile a graveyard. That's not the correct exactly thought process to in, be having. In the same color identity, you have Bujuka Bog, which is just takes the place of a landslide. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've got Scavenger Grounds. You've got Nile Spell Bomb. You've got Relic of Progenitus. None of those things cost you a card, mm -hmm. and but they also serve that purpose of nuking graveyards. Mm -hmm. And like the best mode on Rakdos Charm is the Shatter Effect which you can also get on Kologon's command. With with benefit. <laughs> At instant speed, it's it's really, really much better. If you if you are running Rakdos Charm, there really isn't much of a reason not to run Kologon's command. Mm -hmm. There is another comparison, like another card, that I think is really, really good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like much better than people give it credit for. I don't know why it's not played actually thinking about it. But it's a braid. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this one. Uh, it's one red for an instant. Choose one. A braid deals three damage to target creature. Destroy target artifact. So this sees play in only 2018 decks. Mm -hmm. And it also is better than Rakdos Charm. Yeah. Little commanders just die. You take out a problem artifact. It's an instant. It just sits in your hand until you need it. Yeah. Scary utility creatures. Just yeah. Nuke that. Edric or Fauna Shaman, whatever. Boom. You're good. It it really like has been kind of amazing to see how good this little card is. Yeah, seems really really innocuous on the surface, and then in reality, is packs a huge amount of punch. It's really really nuts. Yeah, and a braid's been around for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. So I'd I'd really like to see more players adopting it. Certainly over Rakdos Charm. Yeah, yeah, Rakdos Charm. I don't know. Maybe it's just people like that. It says Rakdos. <laughs> on it yeah um, you put it in your rectus deck yeah you put it in your rectus deck <laughs> <laughs> all right uh the last card we want to talk about today is timna the weaver she sees play in 1858 decks and she is one white black for a 2-2 legendary human cleric she has lifelink and at the beginning of your post-combat main phase, you may pay X life, where X is the number of opponents that were dealt combat damage this turn. If you do, draw X cards. And she has partner. So I, I think that Timna definitely deserves a spot in the main deck of a lot of decks. And there mm -hmm. are some, yeah. and there are some really easy comparisons you can draw with cards that seem more play than her, but are like either on a comparable power level or worse. Yeah. One card that's similar is Graveborn Muse, which is two black black for a zombie spirit. That's a three three. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you draw X cards and you lose X life, where X is the number of zombies you control. So Graveborn Muse requires you to wait an entire turn cycle <laughs> yeah. to get your cards. If you want to be more than a Phyrexian Arena, then you probably have to be committing to this narrow creature type whereas timna has the advantage of you get the cards the exact same turn you can draw up to three cards the turn you cast her yeah and you don't have to do anything in terms of committing to a creature type or building your deck a certain way if you have creatures that can turn sideways then timna is probably going to do good work for you oh yeah great more muse i should mention sees play in twice as many decks as timna yeah in, in 3971 decks uh, another card that is very similar, definitely more powerful, but comparable, 
is Edric Spymaster of Trest, which is in 7,561 decks. And of course, Edric, you all are probably familiar with him, but <laughs> yeah. uh, he's, he's one green-blue for a 2-2 legendary elf rogue. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may draw a card. Edric has the disadvantage of giving away cards to your opponents, but of course, he can draw as many cards as you have creatures. But really, they're similar. Everyone knows that Edric is good, but people aren't really viewing Timna in the same way. Yeah. Despite the fact that they do so much of the same thing. There's a just kind of a thing in Commander where most, more often than not, like someone is open and they're probably complaining about it. Mm-hmm. And Timna just kind of makes it so that you can take advantage of that. The fact that you don't have to build around her other than just having creatures, you can have her as a card advantage engine in your deck that you just drop her and you get in there. And mm-hmm. it's really like impressive, mm-hmm. actually, like how much uh, she offers decks in regards to just turning their little dorks into cards. And she's not just a commander. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting to me. A lot of the partner commanders, A, a lot of them aren't super worth it. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people have tunnel vision when they look at them because they see partner and they go, oh, like, I have to be playing this with a partner or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or I have to be playing this in my command zone. Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. But it's like, no, like you're not missing out on the partner if this is in your deck. Mm-hmm. This card is just good. You can put good cards in your deck. Mm-hmm. We encourage it. Yeah, I definitely think it compares really well to a lot of black cards that trade life for cards but do so at the beginning of your upkeep mm-hmm. honestly like she compares pretty well to something like dark tutelage or dark mm-hmm. confidant where you're waiting a whole round of turns you might have to pay a fair amount of life for that card you're getting yeah and it's limited to one card per turn like timna doesn't have any of those restrictions a lot of times i think people do get into that tunnel vision i think that's a reason that some of the cards here there's there's like a popular narrative about how a card is played or the cards that are good and we have friends that kind of lament that the format isn't as much like a brewer's paradise as it used to be mm-hmm. because in a lot of ways like the format i mean not solved but like you most people have made most decks at this point and there are a lot of resources out mm-hmm. there to like the information is being shared exactly so, like good ideas tend to transmit a lot more easily yeah. than they used to yeah exactly so like if someone had a cool idea for uh their neheb deck or found a card that works really well in uh this coin flip deck or whatever it is that doesn't preclude the idea that you can still innovate you can still find these cards people aren't playing because again like there is still kind of like a zeitgeist of what is in the popular narrative there's like this idea in in the commander sphere of cards that are good and cards that are playable that you don't need to necessarily prescribe to and yeah it's like good to know that it's good to know that people are playing Rakdos Charm all the time or that like, oh, this chart has a bunch of utility. It's a different thing to go like, oh, a braid gives me a lot of that utility mm-hmm. and is live more of the time, like something like that. So you can still find these cards and there's still a lot of room to brew. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that like a great way to explore and find new cards and powerful cards is just to look at what what turns off other people. Mm-hmm. Like, you might have noticed a common theme is people are turned off by life payments. Like, yeah. Like, like that's a, that came up a couple times in these cards we've talked about today. So maybe that's something you can look for. Are there any, like, cards that involve paying life that people are kind of sleeping on? Mm-hmm. Another thing that people tend to overlook is cards that have, like, an obvious drawback on them. 
because it may be the case that that drawback, yeah, it decreases the card's power, but it's not enough to counteract like the broken thing that it's doing. Yeah. <laughs> for, for example, with Infernal Darkness Actually, or Delay. Or Delay, yeah, exactly. Delay is like a perfect example of that. And if you haven't looked at the cumulative upkeep cards, like some of them are nuts. Mm -hmm. Some of them are mean. Like there are some cards that just make it so that players just can't play the game. Mm -hmm. Specifically like color hosers that like would never be printed now and were printed because they had cumulative upkeep. But like, holy cow, like <laughs> making it so the green player can't like cast creature spells for three turns or mm -hmm. something like there's some really heinous stuff that you can dig out of there and like... Yeah, look up Ritual of Subduel if you want to have a good time. Yeah, <laughs> look through them. Have mm -hmm. some fun. Well, that is all for today. Before we go, I want to give a quick thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley Pollen, Gustav Nyland, Ryan White King, Mark, Eamon Schofield, Adson Sage, and Elvis Lai. So if you want to become a patron and support the show and get your name called out in our credits, you can go ahead to patreon.com slash commander theory. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at commander theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time.